Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, January 14th, 2023, the start of the Martin Luther King Day weekend. It was 30 years ago this year, on November 2nd, 1983, that then-President Ronald Reagan signed the bill that made the third Monday of January a federal holiday in observance of the late civil rights leader, Reverend Martin Luther King. I mean, don't get me wrong, that was cool and well-deserved, but what was not cool was how long it took my home state, New Hampshire, to finally get around to recognizing this federal holiday. Care to guess how many years that took? Oh, God. I think I've actually heard you say this on another show, and it, it absolutely chilled me to the core. But how, how many years, Jim? 17. We didn't get around to recognizing this till the year 2000. Now, mind you, I, I'm not sure if that indicates that a lot of people here who live here in New Hampshire are were racist. Because remember, it's, a, it's 23 years ago now. Maybe it's just that the people in New Hampshire don't like the federal government telling them what to do. <laughs> Take a three-day weekend in January. Go oh, hell no. I mean, after all, we are the only state in the union that has a law on the books that says that adults are not required to wear a seatbelt when they're in a car. So that puts a whole new spin on live free or die. I feel very lucky, Jim, to to be recording this podcast with the man, the last man to ever be walked off of World of Motion. You know? <laughs> Did you ask if you could walk? through world of motion because that would be my <laughs> inclination i don't know no, no. see again we were on the load ramp going in there were people in the attraction when it broke down that last time so there were people who did get walked off i was just not lucky enough to be there but speaking of lucky enough can you tell the nice folks how you spent the last two nights <laughs> well it's a very hollywood thing but Yes, yes. It's very, very very cool. Well, you know, on Thursday night, they had an amazing thing that was put on by the American Cinematheque, and it was John Williams and uh, Steven Spielberg in conversation about their 50 years, 50 years, Jim, of collaborations. And it was really wonderful. They went through clips of a bunch of the movies. They excluded some. Sorry, sorry, Hook fans out there. They did not talk about it. Hopefully this there, there is video of this that I hope they will they will put online because it was really an amazing amazing conversation and you know he's 90 like this is I don't know how many more of these there are going to be but it was really special and you know obviously super emotional and great and then last night I went to a great toast for all of the kind of nominees from Universal including our friends at Bad Guys and Puss in Boots so that was really nice a lot of really great people were there and including Mr. Spielberg again so he and I are just on the same schedule Jim so Well there you go there If I run go. into him okay. at uh, the taco place down the street you'll know we're really <laughs> synced up <laughs> All I want to do at some point in my life is chat with Mr. Spielberg about how Night Skies eventually became E.T. Because I've got a copy of that script and that would have been a hell of a follow-up to Close Encounters. It's like, yeah, not all of them are nice. Yes. Okay, before we get to the news, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. 
Okay, picking up with the news from yesterday, Dan Povenmire, the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb and Milo Murphy's Law, created a new show for Disney Plus uh, called Hamster and Gretel. This animated series debuted on that subscription streaming service back in August of last year. Must have done fairly well because it just got renewed for a second season. Not really surprised there, but what was a surprise was the other news. And, and can you talk about that, Drew? They announced that Phineas and Ferb is coming back for 40 more episodes, two seasons of 20 episodes mm -hmm. each. They seem to imply that it would be a linear and Disney Plus um, debut, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll talk later on the show about another show that's mm -hmm. coming on Disney Plus that will be on or another show that's coming on Disney Channel that'll be on Disney Plus right after. So I think it's going to be another hybrid type uh, situation. But I had no idea that I don't think anybody knew that this was in the works or was even being talked about. And, and what's interesting is that Swampy Marsh is not included in this press. Well, they said we're reaching out to him about it. That's important because Swampy and Dan co-created Phineas and Ferb, and they were partners on it right up until the series ended in 2015. I mean, they 129 episodes under their belt, but the characters never really went away. I mean, Phineas and Ferb were featured in the second season premiere of Milo Murphy's Law. They had a whole episode called The Phineas and Ferb Effect, and then three years ago, we had Phineas and Ferb, the movie Candace Against the World, which was on Disney Plus in August of 2020. And when Dan was out doing publicity last year, he talked about how Swampy was off doing a project of his own that was being considered by Disney Plus. So I wonder what's going on there. But if Phineas and Ferb is coming back, Swampy voiced, what, Major Monocle, so, you know, he's at least got to come back to do voice work on the show, one would hope. The show went off the air, or stopped production, in, in June of 2015, but we got the, these films and that sort of thing. So it's been eight years between when Phineas and Ferb wound down and now this revival. And look, it's not unprecedented for a show to disband its production team and then, then get back together. I mean, how many times has SpongeBob stopped production for, you know, well, as long as four years? Uh, there was a four-year gap between season three and season four, and then season nine and season ten. And we, we don't even want to get into the whole family guy, or for that matter, the Futurama situation. But I have to say, how would you like to have been the guy at Walt Disney World who just tore out all of the Phineas and Ferb adventure? <laughs> yeah, because again, you know, DuckTales has been canceled. But yeah, that debuted as the new World Showcase attraction in December of, of just last year. And that got announced in 2019. Phineas and Ferb went away in like February of 2020. And then that whole project got put on hold because of the pandemic. So what's the smart money on when Phineas and Ferb come back as an attraction in Epcot? As difficult as it might be to get Swampy back, at least they're not having as hard a time as potentially Rick and Morty are facing when it comes to... I was wondering if we were going to talk about that with this show. I'm kind of fascinated by the story around this story, about how the accusations have been bubbling up for years. I was curious about the timing, too. Like, why, why now this is coming out? But I guess because he's got to be in court soon, right? 
tell you what, folks, we will do a deeper dive on this this very same issue on the next show because Drew and I didn't prep anything for this show about that. But we'll circle around with particularly after the court date. Now, to get back to the Phineas and Ferb stuff, this info broke at the Winter Press Tour for the Television Critics Association. But also at that same time, we learned that 20th Century Animation is a brand new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie in the works for Disney+. Plus. What's interesting about this one, uh, Cabin Fever, which is based on the sixth book in Jeff Kinney's series, did you see this as being positioned as a holiday special? Because evidently the storyline of the book features the Hefley family being trapped at home during a blizzard. Did they skip a bunch of books? I thought they were going in order. The two previous CG wimpy kid movies had debuted on the Disney Channel in December. We had the very first one in December of 2021, and then we had Roderick Rules just last month on Disney+. Plus. So I think they were sort of looking at, okay, we're repeating the pattern. This comes out in 2023, and, you know, December of 2023, and what would lend itself to being a holiday theme story and evidently cabin fever was the one that jumped out at them i i wonder if they'll now circle back to the other three books between this one and and roderick rules but so we have this good animation news uh related to disney plus so let's talk about the not so good animation news that we got from netflix in regard to Dead End, Paranorman Park, or Paranormal Park, and Inside Job. Had you heard anything out in advance about these two cancellations? Or No, I mean, I was particularly worried about Inside Job because, as we know, Mike Moon left Netflix uh, last year and is now overseeing a specialty division of Illumination. And so, to me, that made me very worried about the adult animated programming at Netflix. And I was right to be worried because, yeah, Mm. I believe Inside Job was even, like, tentatively picked up for a third season or a third batch of episodes, and it's not happening anymore. We've seen a rash of these recently. The unrenewals, shows that have already staffed up and already begun boarding and that sort of thing, and it's like, pencils down, walk away. Yeah, you got to feel for everybody because now they're in a position where they have to find work when they thought that they were going to be employed for the next two years Mm, or whatever. It's just, it's really heartbreaking. Absolutely. On the other hand, though, Hamish Steele, the the creator of Dead End Paranormal Park, he revealed uh, through social media that he has known for some time that Netflix wasn't planning on renewing Dead End. But Hamish goes on to say that he hoped that we could reverse it, change it, make something good out of it. In fact, he was so certain they could pull that off. He actually put together a writer's room for season three of Paranormal Park. And he goes on to say, we had scripts and designs and outlines ready to go. It was always the plan to give these characters the proper ending they deserve. But sadly, the powers that be at Netflix didn't want anymore. And he says, honestly, we were lucky to make it through everything that happened in the last few years. Steele has revealed that much of the material that had already been prepared for the third season of Dead and Paranormal Park is now going to be used for the third Dead End graphic novel. In fact, this series was based on the first two graphic novels to feature these characters. So in a weird kind of way, it's kind of appropriate. But at the same time, 
if we toggle back over to Inside Job, creator and showrunner Shion Takahuchi wanted to say I'm heartbroken to confirm that Netflix has decided to cancel season two of Inside Job. Over the years, these characters have become real people to me, and I am devastated to not to be able to watch them grow up. And I don't think there's a, a graphic novel in Inside a Job's future. And by the way, I want to bring up the fact that Inside Job was co-executive produced by Alex Hirsch. And my daughter, Alice, sent me this amazing video of Alex on stage last fall talking about working for Disney. Have you seen this, Drew? No, I haven't. What is it? It starts off with Alex on stage and behind him is this projected image of and it's clearly an Alex Hirsch drawing of Mickey Mouse, but but like Mickey Mouse sort of like Zeus. I mean, this all-powerful figure wrapped in a robe. And then the very next image is the robe comes undone. And it's Mickey, his standard size, but he's standing on top of like four rocks where it's Mickey standing on top of your time, your talent, your IP, you know, and just the whole notion of, you know, and here's Alex basing on stage talking about, you don't want to work for these giant corporations. All right. They will take your property out of your hands and you no longer have control over what you created. And it was just sort of like, I'm sure Tell us the, how you really feel. Netflix, <laughs> there we go. There we go. On the other hand, there is some some good animation news. Velma debuted this past Thursday, uh, January twelfth. Oh, well, what did we think of that? I really liked. It. Have you watched it yet, Jim? Have you watched any of it yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying kind of this grim, funhouse mirror version of Scooby Doo. Where are you? For example, the scene where the, they find the victim in the girl's locker room with her brain removed. And it's like, geez, I, I don't remember that from the cartoons from 69. <laughs> but it's been kind of interesting to watch the amount of pushback this has gotten. Like, it's it's the very first time anybody has done something disrespectful with Scooby and the gang. And it's like, do you remember the Venture Brothers episode from, like, season two of that show with the Groovy Gang? Yes. They're all traveling together in a van, and Fred is now Ted, as in Ted Bundy. And there are four serial killers at that point, right? They're not solving mysteries. They're actually going out committing crimes. This has been going on for years. Why is it suddenly a national crime to do something with Velma and Fred and, and Shaggy and the like? Listen, on Harvey Birdman, Shaggy was on trial for possession, Remember that? <laughs> oh, I love that show. It's so good. I still channel for Peter Possums. Did you get that thing I sent you? <laughs> anyway, uh, also, uh, we got a brand new trailer for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which I, I think the, the episodes start off on a Disney Channel. In fact, it debuts on the Disney Channel uh, February 10th. And then these very same episodes become available for streaming starting on February 15th. But I, I have to admit, I love the look of this thing. I love the animation style. If the rest of the show holds up to this trailer, oh my God, this thing's great. Yeah, I agree. I think it looks really, really fun. And it, it does mm -hmm. kind of channel that Spider-Verse energy in a lot of ways. But oh, yeah, I'm very yeah. interested in what the rollout is going to be like for Disney Channel shows going forward. Because it was always so mm -hmm. weird. And we would talk about this on the show. You know, you'd, you'd have, you know, six weeks of Amphibia 
on Disney mm-hmm. Channel. And then there would be a drop of however many episodes on Disney Plus. And it seems like there should be some kind of day and date or much closer release between linear and streaming because all the other channels do that. So it's not like all the HBO stuff is on at the same, exactly the same time on HBO, uh, HBO max. So I, yeah, I don't know. It is frustrating that Disney doesn't seem to have a strategy yet though. I, I love that you, you brought up how moon girl and devil dinosaur seems to be influenced by uh, into the spider verse and that sort of thing. Cause on the second half of today's show, we are going to talk about the info that Drew gathered for a brand new piece you've done for The Wrap about Sony Pictures Animation and what their slate looks like for the next couple of years. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. On last week's show, we were talking about Puss in Boots and how it had just become available on Amazon Prime Video for people to purchase at home. And you floated a very informed notion about why it became that you know available that early. In fact, didn't the voting for the actual nominations begin earlier this week? Like, like yes, Thursday? they continue through next week, and they're announced on the twenty fourth. Okay. And again, it's just weird what will impact how people vote. And like, for example, we just saw Guillermo del Toro's take, uh, Pinocchio take home the Golden Globe for Best Animated Features. That's got to impact the voting headed into the Oscars, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I think that, I, I mean, we've said it for a while, but I think that's definitely going to be the one to beat going into the Oscars. We'll see if something changes or gets mixed up, but... Yeah, that that seems like the one the one to beat. Now you had shared, that, you know, we've got the Pro- Producers Guild of America has also put out its nominations for uh, this year's award for outstanding producer of an animated theatrical uh, picture. And I remember you talking about all five of these films, and here they are once again. They're the the five contenders. Did you, do you want to go through the list? or Sure. Well, I mean, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is obviously on there. Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, which I loved and encourage everybody to watch if they have not yet. Minions, The Rise of Gru, which was kind of a surprise to me. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and Turning Red. Anything stand out in there for you, Jim? I think you're not wrong about Pinocchio. I am happy to see, you know, Turning Red still getting some love. And it's interesting to see Mar- Marcel hanging in there. If you remember when we were first talking about that last summer or thereabouts, it's like 
it's really charming it's it's different than everything else in the pile and it's just sort of like let's see what happens there so it, at least it's getting its recognition i do wonder if they had if the, if turning red had been the thanksgiving movie and they had actually opened it in theaters i think it would be a much stronger challenger to pinocchio but at the same time do you find it fascinating that Disney's Pinocchio, the the Robert Zemeckis is is missing in action. I mean, I I haven't even seen that on effects list. I think it was actually buried at the bottom of the ocean, Jim. <laughs> no one can even get to it. What a cursed movie that was! But you know. you're right. A lot of talented people worked on it, and a lot of people worked really yeah. hard on the animation and the effects. Yeah, and didn't see but, their children uh, and you know we're working long hours i'm sure but that is the crapshoot and in fact i've got my my wonderful two volume set of, of phil tippett uh, when he was at the visual effects society doing a panel on evolution and he he talked about how sometimes when you you work on a summer blockbuster it's like working at los alamos that you're on a tight deadline you're working in in much secrecy and every so often you find out you're working on a bomb that's funny. I have a recommendation, actually, for you, Jim, and everybody at home to watch. Okay. There is a documentary out right now called Jurassic Punk that is about Steve Spaz Williams. It's available on paid VOD, so wherever you buy your movies on to watch at home, it's on there. It is wonderful. I am so glad you brought that up, because I think when you were mentioning this on social media, you had sort of referred to this as sort of a companion piece for light and magic that it was a part of this the industrial light and magic story that didn't necessarily get the attention it deserved in that otherwise wonderful six-part series eight-part series in fact on your recommendation i went and sought out the trailer and holy cow i mean there's this whole if you think about the work that he did on the abyss on terminator 2 and then Jurassic Park, how he effectively changed the effects world. Almost single-handedly. I mean, without there him, those movies would not have gotten done. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see some sort of unflattering portraits of some of these people that have been ma- rightly made out to be heroes in the visual effects community. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I yep. give Phil Tippett a lot of credit because he does... He is interviewed for the documentary. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there is a, a component... For Disney fans, because he directed The Wild, if you'll remember that very dicey computer animated movie that Disney kind of acquired, or I I don't know what the situation was, but there's a lot of talk about that in this movie and sort of what that, the failure of that movie did to him as well. This has gone from something I was trying to make time for to, I'll make time. No, no, it's it's required viewing. He is such a character and... It's a little bit of an Alex Hirsch situation where you kind of see what people are really mm-hmm. made of, and it's kind of a little mm-hmm. disappointing, but he's a really fascinating character, a very kind of troubled guy, but his impact on the community and on filmmaking really cannot be overstated. This is why you want to follow Drew on social media. You'll learn about this stuff early, or for that matter, you really want to pay attention to what Drew is doing over on The Wrap, because you do some amazing stories there. And let's talk about this piece that you just did about Sony Pictures Animation. Did you like it, Jim? I have to ask you that first off, not to put you on the oh, spot. Oh, of course I like okay. it. No, no. I mean, but again, what I find fascinating is that if we look back at the history 
of Sony Pictures Animation. I mean, if you were walking out of a theater in September of 2006, having just seen Open Season, could you have predicted that there was going to be a Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse coming out of this company? Which, as we were just talking about with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the, the impact that that film has had. You know, in fact, I think we were when we've been talking about this year about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and how the look of that film got pushed obviously on the heels of wow look what the guys at sony pictures animation did with spider-man we can do the same thing with the shrek characters yeah well i think you know there, i think there is a comparison to draw because i think phil brought this up is that he was like oh i forget the the artist's name but the guy that created cow and chicken or whatever that show was mm-hmm. he did all the designs mm-hmm. for open season and and I think you can really see that in the designs. And so that, that kind of commitment to mm-hmm. stylistic, so as kind of atypical stylistic kind of vibe is very much present. And, you know, even when I was doing this, I was thinking about how Surf's Up is an animated mockumentary. And that has mm-hmm. never been attempted before or since. Well, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. that the Olympic animal documentary was kind of, was that movie was kind of a a pseudo documentary, but you know, with the camera shakes and characters addressing, right. And they really lean into the conceit. I mean, the whole, how many scenes in that movie are, you have the person in the foreground talking directly to camera, but it's somebody in the background or action that's going on just behind them that creates a comedy or moves the story forward. Oh, and and by the way, the name you're looking for is Dave, David Feiss. Yes. David Feiss. Yes. There we go. He's the one who did Cow and Chicken and also the character designed for Open Season. But I, I did not know that up until up until right now. So There you go. If you look through, again, since 2006, so that this is a relatively young studio. What really sort of turns it around for them and gets them on the board, so to speak, after, good Lord, close to seven or eight features is Hotel Transylvania in September of 2012. And that's Gennady Tartakovsky, and it really breaks through for not only its wonderful, very cartoony design and animation style, but a really well-told story. Yeah. And then from there, it's a standard animation studio of our era. So if Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs succeeds, of course, there is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 in fact, I, I have to admit, I'm startled that we've got as many Hotel Transylvanias as we did. Or for that matter, that Gennady stayed, stayed with it as long as he did. But now, having chatted with these folks about what the next three, four, five years looks like, what's your sense of of where Sony's going? Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to know about the upcoming slate, I think that I did the first interviews with the filmmakers behind Ghostbusters, K-pop, and TBD movie that we were talking around that will be directed by Guillermo Martinez, who was the head of story on Mitchell's versus the Machines. But it seems like there is that willingness to experiment visually and, and storytelling-wise, but also, like you alluded to, Jim, there are certain sort of corporate um interests that have to be addressed as well which i think is what ghostbusters is but you know listening to her talk about what this movie is going to be 
feels very much like it's in keeping with the original animated series and that being an entry point for a lot of kids to what Ghostbusters is. So, I mean, I think they all sound really wonderful and I just cannot wait to see how they are manifested. And what was really eye-opening for me during doing the research for this and talking to so many people, there was the relationship between Sony Animation, which, which debuted 20 years ago, and Sony Pictures Imageworks, which debuted 30 years ago. And I know we talk a lot about visual effects on this show. That's right, yeah. But the fact that they are kind of two independent entities within this corporate environment, sort of as vendor and client, but also much more integrated, to me, that was a very interesting thing. Because it's like, it's not like Disney where you kind of retain animators, you know, year round and if they're in between projects, they're pitching, you know, shorts or whatever, you know, they kind of have to reassemble teams each time. And then those teams have to interface with this other group um, in Vancouver. Uh, mostly uh, that is Sony Pictures Imageworks. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting kind of setup and a very successful setup, obviously. But I was wondering what you thought about that, Jim. Honestly, I hadn't flashed on that. But yeah, I mean, Sony Pictures Animation clearly came out of Sony Imageworks. And, and when you think about some of the projects they worked on and the many breakthroughs they made there, uh, forgive me, though, for changing the subject here, but I have not gotten onto the Sony Pictures Animation campus since they put in that mural. Did you did you get to see that I in person did. while you were there? Yes. I th- didn't I send you a picture, Jim? I was like, oh, I got to get a picture of this for Jim because we've been talking about this mural for so long. It's really beautiful. It's really nice. Yeah, I got to go back to campus, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. saw footage from Spider-Verse as well as um, Agent King. And I think it's called Family Love. Is that what mm-hmm. the hair love show? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. And that's the other interesting thing that you'll, you'll read about in the article is kind of these, these TV projects as well that are working with different vendors. I think Titmouse did... Agent King, and I want to say Renegade did uh, Family Love. You can correct me on this, people who are listening. Um, But yeah, Mm. they've got a strong slate. And Jim, uh, Agent King is just Mm. as crazy as we thought it was going to be. I will say that. Oh, I was so hoping because I I love the whole conceit of that. Isn't the the leaping off point for that the whole Presley visits Nixon in the Oval Office? and, and oh. Oh. <laughs> but I don't I don't know if the historical record will show that he had a chimpanzee sidekick who snorted cocaine and bit people's faces <laughs> off. I'm not I'm a little fuzzy on that one, Jim. I don't know if that actually happened, but didn't I see that, that Agent King actually had a launch date coming it up? It doesn't or? I think it's spring twenty twenty three. They put a teaser poster out for his birthday. I saw that. I saw that. I just wonder out of respect, maybe they're going to, you know, just tap the brakes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the launch. we've got a lot of Elvis stuff coming up, but yeah. No, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And it's just sort of like, all right, I'm going to get on that canvas. I'm going to see that mural in person. But it's very funny because it's like, you know, all the great movies. And then you'll see like, oh, we got a Smurf over there. We got a emoji. 
movie character well, over there. Don't they have like Wish Dragon and Vivo also represented in? I love them? I love those movies. I th- I I'm a big Wish Dragon guy. Every time I'm at the Gallery Nucleus site, I'm, I'm always there looking, you know, for art of books and reference and that sort of thing. They still have the litho, an amazing litho from Wish Dragon. They also have a, a cloisonne pin of the character. And each time I've gotten as far as putting them in the basket and then just it's like, well, what am I going to put this? What am I going to do with this? But it's just, they are such a wonderful character so ridiculously appealing and it just sort of like and that's Sony Pictures Animation they did such an amazing job with that film yeah I have the pin I love it I love I love that dragon he's so cute he's it's so good he is he is all right well anyway you want to know where Sony Pictures Animation is headed head on over to the wrap and check out Drew's latest article there but also, if you, you want to listen to something ridiculously entertainment, you, you should also be checking out Light the Fuse, the podcast that Drew does with Charles Hood about the, the Mission Impossible films. July 14th this year, right? Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That That's still holding? That it's, date? Or? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little concerned because mm-hmm. it opens like two weeks after Oppenheimer and... Boy, Jim, it's going to be a bloodbath for those IMAX screens. You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I, I don't know. We need to, I need to go out there with my tools, Jim, and start building more IMAX screens or something because. Well, you know. <laughs> well, you know, weren't you talking about, well, uh, Drew earlier this month was, was pointing out that what CinemaCon is April, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, in Vegas, and that's like trying to get you to go with me, Jim. But you know, well, I mean, I, I, I think it would be worth it alone to sort of seek out, you know, the the, the exhibitors, and particularly those who have a lot of IMAX screens. And okay, what are you going to do here? I mean, clearly, one is going to be you're going to go to see the Oppenheimer story on the big screen to see, you know, that whole Los Alamos, you know, history, that sort of thing. But boy, what happens if? that is in fact a hit yeah i mean it really does get screwed up i know that you know we've talked a lot about Lightyear, but that had its kind of um imax release uh screwed up because jurassic world was still taking all the good time slots and it was like you know i heard from people who worked on the movie that it was super upsetting because it was the first animated movie made for imax screens and it's like oh you you know, they worked on it for five years. Oh, you get to see it at, you know, 11 a.m. on a Sunday, which is when I had to go see it, was the only time at the Universal City Walk. And, uh, yeah, it was super depressing. It was like, so, yeah, be cognizant of, of where these things are playing. I think you've got another six okay. weeks with Avatar The Way of Water in IMAX, so mm-hmm. don't miss that. But again, folks, make sure you go out of your way to check out Light the Videos. In fact, anything interesting coming up this week? Oh, on the nothing interesting. No, I'm just kidding. We are <laughs> we do our second <laughs> interview with a the sound designer for Fallout as well as Top Gun Maverick, and he's working on a couple of other movies right now called Dead Reckoning Part One and Two. So he is great. His name is James Mather. He worked on a bunch of the Harry Potter movies and um, just a genius in his field. Like. Everybody on these movies just top of the class. So, uh, and we're we're hopefully going to have a, a good Oscar nomination special coming up too, God willing, for uh, Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Yeah. 
Good, good, good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. By the way, we have a, a couple of podcasts here you might want to listen to. We, we've got, of course, Disney Dish with Len Testa. We have Marvelous Disney. Uh, that's about all the Marvel films and TV shows. I do that with Aaron Adams. Brian Gahn and I just did a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm. And in fact, tomorrow. Did you talk about the Willow finale? We recorded it before. So. Uh, well, okay. Before, the, before you record next time, I just did a. About a, a half-hour chat with John Kasdan mm. about where the show's mm. going. I will send it to you as soon as it's published. I've got some great stuff about about the next seasons, should they be there, and yeah. Okay, I, I, well, again, that, that clip at the end where Volume 1 slotted in next to Volume yes. 2 and 3. Also, how good was that needle <laughs> drop at the end? Jim, <laughs> I mean... Come on, that was just yeah. You got money for nothing. Yeah, I get all that. That dire straits in there. There you go. No, great fun, great fun. Uh, but yeah, also finally getting a, a new Universal joint out the door. Uh, let's see. Beyond that, uh, Drew, can can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on social media? Oh yes, of course. Drew tailored like a tailored shirt on Instagram mm. and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Uh, likewise, over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Uh, let's see, beyond that, if you could do Drew and I a favor, folks, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also light the fuse. That would be very, very helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp uh, and subscribe, all right, that might finally convince me to pull the trigger and get that Wish Dragon litho and that, that Claisonade pin that now Drew's got. Yes, do it. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And Mr. Taylor and I will be back soon. <laughs>